Do it again. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world. You're listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Don't try and church it up, son. You can't handle the truth. I am the picture that got small. Your first one's on us. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. I'm your host, Mark Riccadonna, and with me as always... Richie Byrne. Your producer, Soul Joel. And today we have a very special guest. Very cool guest. Very cool. Very this excited. This guy is an uh, old friend of mine, which we've been uh, palling around for quite a while. Decades. I'm, decades. Doing some crazy shit. I've seen Mark go from uh, crazy, irresponsible, to... Married with kids and irresponsible, <laughs> <laughs> and and crazier. We just we cut out the drugs. Everything else is the same. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. Wow, that's a great point. Yeah, everything else is still kind of a kind Who of is a mess. It? Folks, Craig Gas. Craig Gas. What? Is in the house. Oh man, you hey. might need to Google that. Craig Gas, everybody. Craig Gas. I was in the city the first time Craig Gas came to Manhattan. And really? Yeah. And I can't believe you don't remember this because it was an interesting. You called Tony Bavacqua at uh, Dangerfields during the day and pretended to be Sam Kinison. Holy shit. And told him that it was all a lie, that I'm alive. Holy shit. Do you remember this? Vaguely, yeah. And, and I, I do vaguely remember going. And then. And they, he, you freaked him out. He really thought he was talking to Sam. <laughs> and. <laughs> and he invited you to come in that night and perform. Holy and I was shit. on the show, and you were staying in Connecticut. I, I can't believe you don't remember this, because you were freaking out. You didn't know how to get to the train to get to Connecticut. And I drove you over. And it, you acted like I took you to Connecticut. I just drove you to the train. You're like, dude, so nice of you, man. Really nice of you to do that, man. You really I'm very, stand up guy. I'm an appreciative person. I'm a ridiculously <laughs> appreciative person. But yeah, I remember I had actually just come out to New York, and I was staying with Mitch when I first moved in. I was I was living with Mitch Hedberg, and um, I remember that was actually a couple months in. I had started to uh, I I got all my stuff up to Connecticut because I realized how crazy it was living in Manhattan. I think I showed up with. Uh, $3,000 to move to New York, and I'm like, all right, $3,000 is a good slush fund like, to right. get ready <laughs> yeah, in New York. Got one That's month's a rent. great week. <laughs> oh, man, that'll be, yeah, that'll That's get me like started. That's like a 48-hour period. And, yeah, and, and I didn't realize like the cheapest thing I could find in New York City at the time was $1,000 uh, back then uh, for a studio. Yeah. And you needed first, last, and another full amount for the deposit. So $3,000 was everything just to move in. So I was screwed, but... Um, my first spot in New York was actually at uh, New York Comedy Club. Oh, I'm sorry, um, I thought it was that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was New York. It was the. F I remember the day I came in. I I I'm a weird like uh, savant for dates. Yeah, and uh, I I remember leaving Seattle. I started my comedy career in Seattle, um, and I I left Seattle on April thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight, on an Amtrak train. Arrived in Penn Station on April 16th, 1998, and Mitch picked me up at, at Penn Station. And I'm originally from New York, but uh, I left when I was 10 years old. I lived, I grew up in uh, Mount Vernon outside the Bronx. I was say, what, Mount Vernon? And uh, then, so I get into town, and Mitch has spots at uh, the Comic Strip, at Stand Up New York, 
and I think there was one other place. And I got myself a spot at 12.30 or 1 a.m. at the New York Comedy Club. And I walked into that place. This is a crazy <laughs> stand-up story for anybody who I always give this as advice to like, dude, you never know. You never know. So he's doing his spots, and I walk into the New York Comedy Club with Mitch at 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. There's six people in the room. And even Mitch looked at me and said, you sure you want to do this? And I go, fuck it, dude, it's New York. I'm doing, yeah. I'm going to perform in New York City. Yeah. I even walked on stage going, what's up, New York? Yeah. For six oh. people. And then I, I do my six minutes. And the stage back then at New York Comedy Club was a box that actually moved with your body weight. If you, oh, if you yeah. push yep. your body weight like too much, remember that the, place? the stage would actually move. And I do my 15 minutes, whatever it was. I get off stage, and I go, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. Mitch and I jumped in the cab. We got out. A month later, I came back to that same club, New York Comedy Club, walk in. The guy at the door is like, hey, is your name Are you Craig Gass? And I go, yeah. And he goes, I need to get your phone number. And I go, oh, sure. You, you want to book me? And he said, no. Um, there was a... Uh, Someone from VH1's trying to get in touch with you. And I said, oh. in touch with me? And he goes, yeah. Weren't you here like a month ago with Mitch Hedberg? And I go, yeah. And he said, and then you walked right out. And I go, yeah. He said, yeah, one of the people in the audience was a guy from VH1. He was he was trying to figure out how to reach One you. of the six people? One of the six people. Meanwhile, I thought you said Steve Ahrens was booking a bringer show and wanted to get in touch with you. That's fine. <laughs> I, and I'm like, you're kidding. And I go, Wait. I go, do you have the guy's number? And he goes, he's looking through his, like, he had a Rolodex of business cards. And he goes, I can't. He goes, you know what? Just call information and ask for the business phone number for VH1. It's at 1515 Broadway. And then just ask for this guy. His name is blah, blah, blah. And I called and got the phone number, called VH1. Hi, I need to speak with so-and-so. They put me through. I get his voicemail. Hi, you've reached so-and-so, the head of casting and development at VH1. Jesus. And I said, uh, hey, it's uh, Craig Gass. Uh, I just got a message that you're looking for me. And the guy called me right back, and he said, Craig, I needed you a week ago. You were the perfect host for this show. Shut up. And I don't even remember what the show was, but it was something of each. It was my first night in New York. Wow. First night in New well, York City. That's what I was trying to say before, because, you know, Mark speaks very highly of you. I've listened to you a lot of podcasts. I'm a huge fan of you. I just got to meet you now. But uh, it seems like that luck has followed you your entire life. You've been the right place at the right time. Like, at different concerts, you met Kenny G, and then at the, at, um, at the Cubs game, you were at the World Series, when the Cubs won, you went Facebook Live just to celebrate the Cubs winning the World Series and, and getting that monkey off their back. And who goes over your shoulder but Bill Murray? Bill Murray showed I'm up. I'm like, that's crazy. It has nothing to do with your comedy connections. Dude, I mean, it runs nothing. even deeper than that. I lived at Eddie Van Halen's house for uh, four months. Uh, well, who hasn't? <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> Been there, done that. Jesus. Mitch was a roommate of mine. I lived at Eddie Van Halen's house for four months. Uh, I've, I'm the only comedian to ever open for Metallica. I've opened for Motley Crue. I've opened for System of a Down. There's a great video of me opening for Motley Crue on YouTube. The same thing I did opening for Metallica, same thing I did opening for System of a Down, which is I walk out in front of an arena full of people and say, Good evening. My name is Craig Gass, and I am Metallica's... Sound man, yeah. And I say the band has some very important announcements that you need to hear. And then I just make up a bunch of cool shit that's not going to happen. And they all listen. <laughs> and they all, I have their complete attention. And at one point, I'll say, "You may have heard some rumors, and it's true. Metallica is recording their first ever live album right here tonight." <sighs> 
So I need your attention. I need your attention. Oh, no. There's a proper way to yell on a live album, so we need to rehearse this. And then my instructions get dumber and dumber as the night goes on. But they're listening, and they're laughing at every stupid fucking thing I tell them. And um, and then by the time you know my 20 or 30 minutes is up, it's like, I'm just fucking with you. I'm a comedian. Craig Gass, get ready for Metallica. Uh, and then everyone goes, I don't know what that was, but yay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't even know. How is Metallica? They were good, but the weird guy up front. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just did it uh, a week ago, opening for a really cool new band called The Struts, who uh, the singer looks and sounds shockingly like a young Freddie Mercury. It's fucking crazy how nice. great this band is. And I opened for them in Hollywood. They did four nights uh, sold out at the Roxy. And uh, while I was on stage, the guys in the band were getting text messages from friends going, your sound man's fucking hilarious, man. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah it was so just, you're still uh, doing the sound man thing. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 turned into a whole act of Good like... I would be like... When I first Just started doing stand-up, when I'd open for a band, I'd pretend I was the tech. And I'd go out yeah. and fuck with the guitar. And then I would just start talking to him like I was like, oh check, yeah, check. Hey. Well, it started with Metallica. When I opened for Metallica, uh, one of the guys in the well, actually, all the guys were really supportive of me. But one of the guys, the drummer, um, was the guy who said, "Yeah, let's get you to do the show." And I still have the message saved in my voicemail when I called him and said, "Hey, if you guys had any balls, you'd let a stand-up comedian open for Metallica." And I still have this message. Boop. Hey man, it's Lars. Oh, <laughs> uh, got your message and uh, yeah, whatever it is, man. I talked to James and Kirk and some of the other guys. Come down and do a couple <laughs> 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is you want to do, and we'll fucking do it, huh? Ha <laughs> And then uh, and he wanted to go on stage and introduce me. He was actually promoting me on K Rock, which I was working at on the time. I was working on at the time. I was uh, part of the Howard Stern show. And uh, so Lars went on and said, yeah, we got your very old Craig Gass is going to open for Metallica tonight. And I was like, don't tell people. Like, I don't want people coming to the show preparing. Right, 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 like, right. hey, did you hear a comedian's going to perform? Yeah, let's right. fucking kill him. Like, just even the idea that a comedian's going to perform it just is going to incense the crowd. Right, right. And Lars said, well, what do you want me to do? He goes, I'll just, dude, I got it. I got it. I'll just, I'll walk out on stage and I'll say, hey, Metallica's about to come out and kick your ass in about, 30 minutes, but first I'm, I'm going to have a good friend come out and tell you some jokes. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? Don't, like, hey, here's one of the guys in town. You, you guys ready to rock? All right. You Give want it. that for your real? But yeah. You don't want that yeah, while I'm you're like, doing that's it. Yeah. You kind of caught in the middle. <laughs> you go out on stage. The lights. Lars to open for you. Yeah, <laughs> light, the lights go down and everyone goes crazy and you see a guy from Metallica and he says, hey, you guys ready? <sighs> All right, well, let me bring out a friend to tell you some jokes. Like, <laughs> like, who the fuck's going to put up with that? And he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, just, dude, just give me the mic, and I'll just walk out and start talking. Like, I don't want, I don't want anyone to know, hey, we're about to watch stand-up comedy. And then it dawned on me, like, what if I told everyone I work for the band? And then I started doing that, and I walked out on stage, and, and I got away with fucking murder doing that. And then I started doing it from uh, System of a Down asked me to do it with them in Toronto, there's a great review of that show for that System of a Down show where uh, the sound man was hilarious, uh, got everybody in a good mood, and blah, blah, blah. Sound the man. sound man. And Dude, then, this is so crazy, because this is what I actually did as the guitar funny. guy. Really? And I go out and mess with the guitar, and then after the show, people were like, the tech was hysterical. That's actually <laughs> it's a great fucking way to get people to listen to you. But yes, a lot of... So the the... 
the Cubs, Bill Murray, I uh, there's a guy who runs a very popular local restaurant in Cleveland called The Melt. I know and, the Melt. That's yeah, great. And oh. it's a grilled cheese restaurant. They have thirty different types oh, of grilled right. cheeses. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have like a yeah. pound of grilled cheese. Yes, and I come into I come into Cleveland and I ask like, hey, what should I do while I'm in town? And everyone starts saying, oh man, you have, have you gone to The Melt? You got to do grilled cheese. You like grilled cheese? You got to go. So I said on the air. Why does everybody in Cleveland want to stick their dick in a grilled cheese sandwich? Like, why is everybody obsessed with this grilled cheese sandwich place? And the Melt tweeted me and said, hey, Craig, you should come out and experience some of the magic that we have here with our grilled cheese sandwiches. And I tweeted (laughs) him back and said, "Uh, I got a better idea. How about you come to my show and bring some sandwiches for my audience? And they did. The owner of the Melt showed up at my show. Uh, and brought a hundred grilled cheese sandwiches. Wow! And smart we move. Wow. threw the, very smart. You're smart absolutely move. right. Because the first, the only thing he said to me before we walked out on stage was, "Can you do me a favor? Because all I ask is that when we throw these sandwiches out, make an announcement and say, listen, if you catch a sandwich, please tweet about it.'" And he knew how much that was going to trend. Wow. Yes. People going, dude, they're throwing out grilled cheese sandwiches. The <laughs> I caught a, I caught a fucking sandwich. Like, like who cares about the comedy show? Fucking co- free grilled cheese sandwiches. And uh, so we threw sandwiches out to the crowd, and the place went fucking nuts. And the owner of the Melt also happens to be a huge Kiss fan. He's got Kiss tattoos, and I've been making jokes about Kiss for I guess decades. he's a fan. So he knew who I was, and... And uh, and we bonded. So, game seven of the World Series, I get tickets and I, I go to game seven. And uh, I forgot we we're still on this Bill Murray thing. <laughs> yeah. And I texted all my friends in Cleveland, and the one of the guys I texted was my buddy who owns the Melt, and he said, "Dude, I'm in the third row. I'm sitting behind uh, Eddie Vedder and John Cusack." And I said, "Well, if you want to meet up, let me know." And he said, "You won't be able to get to me." He's like, because I'm behind a wall of cops here and security. And I was like, all right, well. You don't know who you're talking to, (laughs) Well, and that's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. I have this Forrest Gump moment where I'm walking around the stadium. Oh, God. And this dude who works for the Indians, who I got to point out was a black dude who stopped me and said, hey, weren't you on that metal show and i was like you're a metal fan and he goes oh i love metal and i was like oh my god really you're the one you're the one yeah chris rock (laughs) chris rock always says there's always that one black dude at a heavy metal concert he's like i'm that black guy so this dude is telling me he's like dude i love metallica i love kiss and i go you love i go well you know about my problems with gene simmons that he almost killed me and he goes no man what was and i start telling the story and he's laughing and every couple of minutes, he has to stop because uh, uh, a fan comes up and says, excuse me, and they show him their ticket. And he goes, oh, wait, hold on one second. He checks tickets, and he scans them. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're good here. And he gives out wristbands to these people. And then he keeps stopping every so often. And he goes, oh, sorry, let me just scan this. Yep, you're good. Here's your, here's your wristband. And I go, what is the wristband for? And he goes, oh, it's for a, um, it's our home run club. It's behind home plate. Oh, get out of here. Um, it's, a, it's a special private club. Uh, and this is during and, the World Series. And he goes. The guy in charge of getting you back. And he goes, do you want one? And I go, sure. Cut to Craig in the bathroom blowing this yep. metal. <laughs> so the, the guy turned out to be a fan of mine. He, he gives me a wristband. Get the- he gives me a wristband and then goes, hey, so what, tell me more about this Gene Simmons thing. And I go, um, I got a wristband now. I don't really I need go, to talk to you yeah. anymore. I, I talked to him for another minute or two, and I go, dude, um, 
do you mind if I just go to this club? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, go because it's the fifth inning at this point. Right, so. right, right. You right, blew right. the guy Which, off. Yeah. By the way, none of this would have happened if you didn't suffer from ADD. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Oh, my God. That's a great point. My ADD leads me into a bunch of, yeah. So I start, um, I, I go into the home run club, and I text my buddy again from the melt. I go, dude, uh, I'm, I'm about... I think I'm about 10 rows behind you in, the, in that private club behind you. And he goes, okay, I'll come up in a minute. He comes up, and he says, hey, if, if there's an empty seat, I'll let you know. For Game 7 of the World Series, he says if there's an empty seat. Oh, yeah. And in yeah. the eighth inning, he goes, dude, there's an empty seat, four seats over for me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> one of the wives. I hate this story. One of the wives uh, from the Cubs yeah. it, brought her baby yeah. without any ear protection. So she leaves to help because – place is going nuts and she's trying to cover her kids ears so she leaves and he goes come on down and i just i without a ticket i glance <laughs> down and i start walking a few rows up and he stands up and he goes yeah, yeah yeah and he goes hey everybody get up make room for this guy and everybody gets up and there's an empty seat i sit down the guy in front of me turns around it's john cusack and i go hey how you doing and then, uh, and then in front of him is eddie vetter so i'm third row center behind home plate and then as we get into the bottom of the 11th, the Cubs are about to win the World Series for the first time in 100 years. I've never gone to a World Series game. I've been telling people for years, I'm only going to go to the World Series if the Chicago Cubs make it to the World Series, to which everybody says, then you're never going to the World Series. <laughs> and I am now at, about to watch the Cubs win the World Series. I take out my phone and I start doing a Facebook Live. It used to count down, three, two, one, you're live. It starts counting down, three, two one and i feel somebody leaning on me i turn around it's bill murray and he's drunk and crying and <laughs> and we're literally we're one strike away from winning the world the cubs are one strike away from winning the world series and i'm looking at i'm, I'm about to get the greatest shot ever i got eddie vetter and john cusack in the shot with the cubs about to win and Theo Epstein's in front of me, of the whole, all, all the management. Uh, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins is behind me. And I got this great shot, and Bill Murray is starting to interrupt the shot. And <laughs> Bill Murray's kind of <laughs> There's so many things I want to say. I want to I look at Bill and go, I love you. I adore you. I have loved you since I was a kid. But all I can say is, Bill, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> and I... And I get the shot, and then there's a hit down the third baseline. They throw it across. The Cubs win the World Series for the first time in 100 years. I turn around. Yeah! And I start high-fiving Bill, and we're hugging all the national TV shots of Bill Murray, the biggest Cubs fan in the world, are of him hugging and high-fiving a guy with a Mariner's hat on. And who's, who's the guy that he went to the game with? I did not go to the game with Bill. He snuck oh, up. Oh, they were saying that? Who and every, everybody, I was getting, my phone was exploding with people going, get the fuck off my TV, you asshole! <laughs> Which is the same thing that happened at the Super Bowl when the oh, Seahawks no. won the Super Bowl. I was on the field with the Seahawks because the Seahawks are so great to me that they give me a job whenever I go to a game. And they gave me a job at Super Bowl 48. I was the team photographer's assistant. And what? so I got to hold cameras during the digital and, age when you don't need an assistant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of. Did you go out to the crowd and go, I'm the team photographer's assistant. We have some rules. We have some important announcements. Listen to me. The Seahawks want you. I get the Lombardi trophy first, according to the rules. Check I, my credentials. I need your attention. <laughs> yeah, so I found myself in a lot of crazy uh, Did Forrest you Gump moments, but that moment, that Facebook Live, 
if you watch it, I'm I'm oh, literally one foot away from Bill's face. I mean, his face takes up the entire screen. He's crying <laughs> and laughing. We're hugging each other. We're high-fiving each other. And then he climbs over my seats um, to get to the front. And then I, I pan around, and then I have Bill and Eddie Vedder and John Cusack all hugging with, with Bonnie Hunt. And it was crazy. And it, those weren't my seats. That was now, the craziest off, part about the you, story. Are you a Cubs fan? Or you? I've always loved underdogs. So, yeah, okay. the Cubs have always been the ultimate underdog. Uh, I was a Yankees fan as I mean, a the kid. The Indians weren't that far behind them. Though. Yeah, I know. If the if the Indians would have won, it still would have been a great story. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't compare to the Cubs. Right. And also keep in mind when you talk about Cleveland being in a in a funk that the Cavaliers had just won. Uh, That's right, LeBron s- four months earlier, right, right. right? With a homegrown talent, homegrown right. talent of LeBron James. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. I'll always remember seeing Dave Chappelle make a joke about there's not many. What was it? Uh, he goes. There's not much. There's not much fame that compares to LeBron James in Ohio fame, and he said to give you an idea of how famous LeBron James is in Cleveland. LeBron James, God forbid, could shoot Donald Trump in front of a pack of poor white people, and those white people, if it's in Cleveland, will go LeBron. If it's a game day, they'll go, LeBron, we got to get you out of here. (laughs) That's that's how famous LeBron James is, is that he could, God forbid, shoot Donald Trump in in front of a group of poor white people. Yeah, it was. But um, so with that in mind, uh, Cleveland had felt the taste of, you know, a victory. But Cubs fans, I mean, those I mean, that's that's multiple generations of people. It's ridiculous. Going through an entire life into their having, you could have grandchildren, great grandchildren, and be a Cubs fan and never experience that. Right. And uh, multiple generations experience that without having a championship. So I knew it was it was more special for the Cubs to do it. So and you were in Chicago and in Cleveland. The game, game seven, the grilled cheese. Right. Game seven was in Cleveland. Right. Yeah. Well, it was confusing because all the Cubs people were behind home plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all, well, you know, the ownership and and all that stuff. Yeah, they were all, uh, and it was, and there was a lot of. It was, I felt like it was pretty split that night for game seven. I I did meet a lot of people who drove out that day, that like a buddy called. Listen, man, this is something we waited for our whole lives. Let's drive to Cleveland. You know, and, well, Chicago and, and Cleveland's not that far. Yeah, it's not that right. far. There right, were right. a lot of stories about that, about people driving out and everything. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm a huge underdog fan. I was a Yankees fan. That was my birthright because I'm from Mount Vernon. I grew up 10 miles from Yankee Stadium. Right. And uh, But something, I was like in the 70s, I had Reggie Jackson, Bucky Dent, and Willie Randolph, an amazing team in the late 70s. I was seven, eight years old when they won those World Series. But I just remember going to a game and looking at my mom and going, I, went, I was in Yankee Stadium. I looked at my mom and I went, this stadium is loaded with assholes. I was eight years old. <laughs> I was eight. And I just made a really grown-up decision where I said, I can't do this. If 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 my team winning means that all these assholes are going to be happy, then I'm out. I'm just, I can't root for this. So, uh, <laughs> so I became a fan, like an independent fan. Like, I liked players. And then um, when I moved to Seattle to start doing stand-up in 1993, three of my Yankees that I grew up watching uh, were with the Seattle Mariners. Lou Pinello was the head coach. Willie Randolph was a base coach. And right. Goose Gossage, I believe, was the relief pitcher. From Who the doesn't Yankees. like Goose Gossage? Yeah, and I just I became a fan. And of, he hates the Yankees now. Of the Mar- Is that right? Oh. oh, wow. So I became a Mariners fan uh, because uh, it was easy to do. It's like, okay, well, I got a couple Yankees here that are carrying me over. And, and I hadn't seen professional baseball 
since I was a kid because I moved to Arizona when I was 10 and there was no baseball except for spring training. Um, but the spring training, we didn't get the Yankees spring training in Arizona. We got uh, Cubs. Uh, we had Cleveland in Tucson, the Indians, which was famous, made famous in the movie uh, Major, Major League. League. It right. opens with spring training in Tucson at High Corbett Field. But, it's also uh, the only time the Indians would win it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I don't even know. Like, I just jumped in and started talking. What is usually the theme with this podcast? Like, where does it go? Because I just spent no, like 15 exactly minutes. Exactly what you just did. Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's well, we we're, didn't do the drinks or the jokes, but. Well, um, I think we could wrap up and we'll no, start. No, we're not wrapping up. <laughs> it's too early. We're only 25 minutes in here. I'm, and I'm it's okay. Craig is on a roll. I'm not you, ra- you, I am not rapping. You got a four-minute story? Do no, I have a no, four-minute no. story? <laughs> um. What is I, I maybe I'm being an idiot, but what oh I got it, but we, we still we could do what is what's the problem with Gene Simmons? The Gene Simmons story Because is, I remember seeing you on Stern when he was on and you were doing him. Yeah. And you were selling everything. Yeah. And he was so <laughs> mad. It and was you crazy. Said, this is the Gene Simmons too. Well, it's crazy because when <laughs> he I was said the Gene Simmons. Oh my God. It was it was crazy. What happened is I, I spent a year uh sitting next to Howard Stern where I would chime in as different celebrities saying awful shit. And I was doing all these abstract characters. I've always been able to do any voice that I hear because of how I grew up. Um, I think your story of growing yeah. up is one of the greatest. I wanted to segue into that because yeah, his whole family is deaf. Everyone in my family. Oh, get out of here, really? My yeah. mom, my dad, and my sister are all completely deaf. Uh, my mom was born completely deaf from a birth defect. My dad was born with all of his hearing. Lost it when he was a kid, got into an accident, popped out his eardrums, so he had to go to deaf schools where he met my mom, and they had my sister first, who was born with my mom's genes, completely deaf, and then I was born with my dad's genes with all my hearing. So growing up in a deaf family, I couldn't learn how to talk from my family. I learned how to talk by copying all the voices I heard on TV, and I, I was always able to mimic any kind of voice that I hear, and that's how I didn't get a, uh, an accent uh, from the Bronx, where I'm from. Um, I I just learned how to talk by watching TV. There's a little like, it's like a these little nuances that we pick up uh, that lead to whatever our little silly uh, accents are, because we hear everybody around us and we just naturally assimilate. And that's why deaf people have no tone, because they're not listening to anybody to be like, oh, I'm gonna adjust to sound like Mark. I'm, you know, it's like you're just you can't hear anything, so your voice is just a raw sound. Right. And then but for us, our ears are working and we listen to how everybody communicates and we just adjust and we pick up whatever little accents come along the way. I had an interesting question. I've listened to a lot of podcasts talk about this. Um, My my stepdad uh, worked in the 90s as an undercover cop in in uh, in. Washington D.C., where there's a huge deaf population. Yeah, because of Gallaudet University, it's right? So a I, deaf I, university. So I wanted to ask you. Um, him and his undercover partner went up and arrested someone on a public bus, and they're like, "You're under arrest." And they're like, "We didn't do anything." They're like, "We speak sign language, asshole." Uh-huh. And they were they were just because they're deaf doesn't mean they're not the bad people. Right. So they were they were about to they were about to like jump someone, and they were signing back and forth, and they caught him. So I wanted to know. You would never be able to tell by looking at you that you speak sign language. Have yeah. you ever ta- Have you ever caught someone talking shit? Oh yeah, well, <laughs> about me, cause I'll I'll try to help out oh, deaf me. people. <laughs> I try to help out deaf. Pe- Anytime I see deaf people in distress, like uh, you know, trying to communicate, I'll go, oh hey, uh, 
uh, I can I'm gonna look at the deaf people and I'll go, hey, I, I actually I know sign language I can help out. And I'll look at the deaf person and go, hey, I know sign language. They go, oh, thank God. Okay, uh, please tell them. And then they'll start signing like really fast. And I need to spell most of the stuff. <laughs> like I'm not good with the a lot of words. Right. And my mom never fixed my sign language. She just. <laughs> And and by the way, he's I'll, signing. Yeah, he's signing yeah. as he's telling. Yeah. And by the way, a lot of my signs are just flat, fucked up, and wrong. But my mom <laughs> oh, knew. No. But my mom knew what, what I meant. Saying, right. And it's so, like a baby with a lisp. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. And but that's my, my son. Right. My mom's my mom's friends have come over and I'll try oh, to talk no. to them and they'll go what and then my mom will go oh he means this and she'll do the word and they'll go That's why so didn't funny. and they'll go why didn't you correct it and she goes well it's just it's so cute like he's so <laughs> stupid he's such a moron so that's the only time you had an accent yeah <laughs> he's such a moron he signs with an accent he, yeah he, he thinks when he signs uh giving myself the shocker he means he's hungry like yeah like yeah like, yeah so it was like, your mom's friends that talk shit yeah so well no what happens is uh when i ask deaf people to slow down oh when no. i'm trying to help them i'll go wait can you spell and they'll go yes and i'll go wait wait can you spell can you i'm sorry is it t-r wait i'm sorry back up t-r wait back up i'm sorry <laughs> look at the typewriter back up r no i'll try to and then i'll see one person in that group going this guy's a fucking moron and i'll go hey i saw I that, that and I'm, I'm i know that one i'm trying to help you here okay you know but yeah, I'll always. Yeah, but you're like the guy where people go, "Do you speak Spanish?" and you go, "See, si. <laughs> Jimmy Chonga, Jimmy Chonga." There was one time I was in an independent film. Uh, it was a small role in this independent film where I played a deaf guy and um, who's part of a deaf couple. It was a dream sequence, and I believe the star of the movie was Ali Sheedy. Um, is that the girl that was in Breakfast Club? Yes. Okay, Ali Sheedy was the was the star of this movie. She has a dream where she's walking through a park and she sees a deaf couple in love. They're very affectionate and she notices them and then continues walking. And then all of a sudden the girl jumps up and says, no, I don't want it. I don't want the baby. I want an abortion. And then she wakes up, shoots up out of bed. So I'm going to play half of this deaf couple. Greg and the aborted baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got some range. I got range. <laughs> I can play from uh, sixty to aborted. I'm all. I'm like. I'm all the way. So anyway. So uh, so I have this uh, girl who's gonna be my girlfriend, and I want to teach her some basic sign language because I'm I'm telling her like you know it's kind of offensive to deaf people if you're just moving your hands. So let me teach you some basic signs like I love you, and you know whatever like little simple things. But I don't know what the sign is for abortion. So that's kind of key to this whole scene. So I, I, I emailed my sister. I emailed my sister and I go, hey, uh, I'm going to do this movie and I need to know what the sign is for abortion. I'm going to teach this girl some sign language. And my sister writes back and describes the sign. She describes it, but I don't understand in her description. I'm like, wait, what? Like, and then I'm like, fuck. I walk out into Times Square. There's a pack of deaf people in Times Square right there. And I go, oh, 
shit. And I walk over and I walk right no, in the deaf people. I go, hey, I walk right in the middle of this group of deaf people and I go, hi, hi. Um, I need some help. Um, can you help me? I need to know what is the sign for A B O R T I O N. And they're looking at me and they're like, what? And I go, I need to know the sign for A B O R T I O N. And they're looking at me and they go, oh, it's this. And it's very rough. It's just a, a grab your stomach and like a throwaway like that. Because uh, sign language is very blunt. Direct. It's yeah, very blunt, very direct. To the point. So I go, okay, so this right here, this is A-B-O-R-T-I-O-N. And they said yes. And I said, oh, thank you. And I walked away and they're like, that guy's going to tell his deaf girlfriend to get an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of sick fuck is that? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Everybody in this writing class so just weird. turned around. <laughs> abortion! He's, he's imitating oh! people talking, and everyone's like, what the fuck is he yelling for? <laughs> Go. We're doing a workshop about abortion! Everybody that in the was, next room is trying to... <laughs> that was jokes and storytelling. Thank you, Craig Gass. Thank you. Last call. Thanks for listening to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling.